The scripture for this morning's message is Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. The title of the message this morning is Accepting the Reality of Suffering for Jesus. The council of Jewish religious leaders has declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy and deserving of death. But they don't have the power to execute criminals. Only Rome can do that. So the Jewish council takes Jesus to Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Judea. The scripture this morning is Mark's record of Jesus' trial before Pilate. Mark 15, 1 through 15. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And in the early morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole Sanhedrin immediately held counsel and binding Jesus, led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, you yourself say it. And the chief priests began to accuse him of many things. Then Pilate was questioning him again, saying, do you not answer? See how many accusations they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had delivered him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate was saying to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted again, Crucify him! But Pilate was saying to them, Why? What evil did he do? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. Let's pray. Oh God and Father, we know that this scripture has a message for you to us. Oh God, that you would give us ears to hear it. Help me to speak it clearly and plainly and open our ears and minds to understand. Speak to us in these moments, oh our God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Every day, 13 Christians in the world are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 Christians are either unjustly arrested or imprisoned because of their faith. Every day, five Christians are abducted because of their faith. These statistics come from the World Watch List, which is composed every year by Open Doors, 
an organization that works with persecuted Christians around the world. Now, here's the thing. These statistics seem so far removed from the reality that you and I have known in America. But the reality for Christians in America is changing. We're not yet to the point where we are likely to be killed or even imprisoned because of our faith, although it's probably not as far away as you may think. But if you are truly faithful to Jesus, you will suffer for it. Today, it may only be things like ridicule and insults and people mocking you. It may be mostly verbal. Maybe discrimination on your job, things like that. But as time goes on, the magnitude of suffering for Christians in America is only going to increase. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Listen, as disciples of Jesus, we must accept the reality that faithfulness to Jesus will result in some form of suffering. We have got to come to grips with that fact. In the scripture we read this morning, Jesus is standing trial before Pilate. And Jesus shows us exactly what it looks like to accept the reality of suffering because of your faithfulness. He shows us exactly what it looks like. And as we see in these verses how Jesus accepted the reality of his crucifixion, you, can, you and I can begin to understand what it looks like for you and I to accept the reality that we simply will suffer for Jesus if we're faithful. There are four points in the message this morning, and here's the first one. Jesus accepted he would be crucified even though he is king. Jesus accepted he would be crucified even though he is king. In other words, Jesus accepted the reality that he was going to be nailed to a cross, and that was going to happen in spite of the fact that he is the king of kings. If you remember in Mark chapter 14, verse 64, the Sanhedrin council declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy and said he deserves death. But if you'll notice in verse 2, when Pilate questions Jesus, he doesn't say anything about blasphemy. Why? Well, here's the reason. Pilate could care less whether or not Jesus committed blasphemy. That is not a crime that is going to get Jesus executed by Rome. Pilate was not of the Jewish religion. He did not worship the Jewish God. So when the council brings Jesus to Pilate, they don't accuse him of blasphemy. They accuse him of claiming to be the king of the Jews. And that is a charge that very well could get him executed. If Pilate believed Jesus wanted to overthrow Rome's control of the Jews and himself be king of the Jews, then that would certainly be of concern for Pilate and the Roman Empire. 
So those are the charges that the Jews bring before Pilate. This man says he's the king of the Jews. So Pilate asks him in verse two, are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus' reply is translated different ways in different translations. The New American Standard Bible says, it is as you say. The English Standard Version says, you have said so. In reality, the Greek is simply, you say, or you yourself say. Here's the idea. Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Basically, what Jesus says it's true, but you're the one who said it. Here's the thing. Jesus wants to confirm the fact that he is king. But he wants to be careful to deny any political or military aspirations. In other words, Jesus is king, but he's not the kind of king Pilate would probably be thinking of. Not the kind of military political leader the Jews would have been thinking of. John, in his gospel, records this same conversation with Pilate, and he makes this clear. Listen to what John says in John 18, 33 to 37. Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this from yourself, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What did you do? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you yourself said, I am a king. So Jesus is confirming he's a king, but he's denying that he has any political or military aspirations. Jesus has not come to overthrow Rome, but he confirms he is indeed a king and he does have a kingdom. Now, as Christians, you and I understand that Jesus reigns over the kingdom of God, which at present exists of all the redeemed all over the world. In other words, today, Jesus reigns in the hearts and lives of his people, in his church all over the world. But one day, his kingdom will encompass every inch of God's creation. Listen, Jesus' kingdom is much greater than Israel. It is much greater than the Roman Empire. But what's important for you and I to see in this text is that the one Pilate condemns to be crucified is king. And not just any king, he's the king of kings. Now, think with me. If the king of kings accepted the reality that he was going to be crucified, why should you and I ever think that we shouldn't suffer for him? If the king was not above suffering because he was faithful to God, why would the servants of the king somehow think they should be above suffering? Matthew 10, 24 and 25, Jesus said these words, A disciple is not above his teacher, 
nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Let me say that another way. If the unbelieving world abused the king, how much more will they abuse the king's servants? If the king was not above suffering, we as his servants have no reason to think that we should be above suffering for him. Jesus accepted he would be crucified even though he is king. Point number two. Jesus accepted he would be crucified according to God's will. Jesus accepted the reality that the intense agony and, and pain that lie ahead of him was not a deviation from God's plan. It was part of God's plan. Now we see in verses 3 and 4, the accusations against Jesus begin to pile up. The religious leaders start accusing Jesus of all kind of things. And then, you know, Pilate asks, hey, are you the king of the Jews? But watch what Jesus does. After his initial response, Jesus said, you yourself say it. Verse 4, when Pilate starts questioning Jesus again, Jesus doesn't answer. Verse 5, Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate marveled. Pilate's amazed. Why is he amazed? He's amazed because Jesus is making no effort to defend himself. He's not even trying to prove that he's innocent of what he's being accused of. Understand, by remaining silent, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Scripture about the suffering servant, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Here's the question, why though? We know he, he remained silent. We know he fulfilled the scripture by remaining silent. But why didn't he defend himself? Simple. Jesus was not trying to avoid the cross. The cross is why he came. He wasn't trying to avoid suffering. It was God's will that he suffered. Are you familiar with the idea that Jesus is our Passover lamb? Listen, the lamb doesn't become the Passover lamb until he's slaughtered. You understand? Until he's killed, he's just a lamb. Before he becomes the Passover lamb, he has to die. You remember when the soldiers came to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus? You remember Peter took out his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, one of the high priest's servants? Listen to what Jesus said to Peter on that occasion. This is in Matthew 26, 52 to 54. 
Then Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Therefore, how will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Did you catch that? Don't defend me, Peter. Listen, it must happen this way. Jesus' suffering was a necessary part of God's plan to redeem sinners. Jesus knew that, so he made no attempt to defend himself. He had come to grips with the fact that God's plan was that he die for sinners. Listen to what Peter said on the day of Pentecost in his sermon in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. As Peter preached on that day, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. Did you catch that? He was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen to Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God did that. Listen, Jesus' faithfulness to his Father required him to suffer. Now you listen to what I'm saying to you. In the same way, our faithfulness to Jesus is going to require suffering. Let me say it another way. If we do God's will, we are going to suffer for it sometimes. Sometimes our suffering is not because we've sinned. Did you catch that? We often think when I'm suffering, we must have done something wrong. No, maybe. But sometimes our suffering is not because we have sinned. Sometimes it's just the opposite. Sometimes our suffering as Christians is precisely because we've been faithful to Jesus. Sometimes we suffer because we did God's will. Sometimes God accomplishes his purposes through our suffering for Jesus. Acts chapter 7 records the very first Christian to be killed for his faith. His name was Stephen. Acts chapter 8, one, chapter eight verse 1 tells us what happened after Stephen was killed. On that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Here's the idea. Stephen is killed because he's a Christian. That gets the Jews and the Romans fired up, and they begin to persecute Christians heavily. Christians are being arrested. Christians are being thrown in prison. It got so bad that the Christians had to run, had to flee Jerusalem. And it says they went out into Judea and went as far as even Samaria. Now listen to what Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about proclaiming the good news of the word. Now follow me. 
The suffering of the believers caused them to leave Jerusalem and scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. And as they went, they preached the gospel. Now make the connection here. As a result of the Christians' suffering in Jerusalem, the gospel was advanced through the rest of Israel out into Samaria and was well on its way to the Gentile nations. What caused that spread of the gospel? Because Christians in Jerusalem were persecuted and were forced to spread out, to disperse. And as they dispersed, they took the message of Christ. Listen, that was God's will. The suffering of those Jewish Christians was part of God's plan to advance the gospel beyond Jerusalem to the rest of the world. What I'm saying to you, believer, is simply this. When you suffer because of your faithfulness to Christ, you can rest assured that it is within the scope of God's will. Point number three. Jesus accepted he would be crucified despite his innocence. First, we saw Jesus accepted that he would be crucified even though he was king. We saw Jesus accepted that he would be crucified um, according to God's will. And now we see that Jesus accepted he would be crucified despite his innocence. Jesus just faces the reality that he's going to die the death of a wicked sinner even though he had never sinned. Apparently, according to verse 6, it was Pilate's custom to release one Jewish prisoner to the Jewish people every year during the Passover feast. In verse 9, we see Pilate say to the Jews, Hey, do you want me to release Jesus to you, the one you call the king of the Jews. Understand what Pilate's doing. Pilate's looking for a reason to release Jesus. He wants to let him go. Verse 10 tells us why. For he was aware that the chief priests had delivered him over because of envy. Pilate knew these religious leaders are jealous of Jesus. You see, Jesus was a very popular figure with the people. Jesus had the kind of power those religious leaders could only dream of. The people flocked to hear Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders didn't like all the attention he was getting. Plus, he exposed their hypocrisy. They saw Jesus as a threat to their position and power. They were envious of him. And that was obvious to Peter. To, to, it was obvious to Pilate. And it was also obvious to Pilate that even though Jesus had acknowledged that he was a king, he was no political threat to Rome. Pilate could tell that from Jesus' conversation. Bottom line, Jesus was innocent and Pilate knew it. So Pilate offers to the Jews to release Jesus. Now look at verse 11. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate was saying, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted again, Crucify him. 
Pilate tries to release Jesus, but the people say, no, release Barabbas. We'll talk more about him in a minute. Don't release Jesus, release Barabbas. What am I going to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Notice reply, Pilate's reply in verse 14. Pilate was saying to them, why? What evil did he do? What evil did he do? Answer, none. Nothing. There was absolutely no justifiable reason for Pilate to have Jesus crucified. None. Jesus faced crucifixion as someone who had done absolutely nothing wrong. Not only was Jesus not guilty of any crime worthy of death, he was not guilty of anything, period. The scripture makes very, very clear that Jesus was totally sinless. Let me give you a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4, 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. 1 John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifested in order to take away sin. And in him there is no sin. Jesus suffered despite the fact that he was innocent. Now this is what I need you to see. He is our example. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He was totally innocent. Being reviled, he was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus is our model. When you suffer because you've been faithful to Jesus, you should never say, I don't deserve this. No. You don't, you don't lash out at those who've hurt you. You don't grumble and complain because you're suffering because of your faith. You leave it in God's hands. That's what Jesus did. It says, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. You just leave it in God's hand and you keep being faithful. Listen, you and I need to come to grips with the fact that when we're faithful to Jesus, we're going to suffer. Even though we've done nothing wrong. We just have to accept that reality. And it's not an issue of whether we deserve it or not. It's just a reality. Faithfulness to Jesus is going to bring suffering. Point number four. Jesus accepted the reality that he would be crucified as a substitute for sinners. Jesus accepted he would be crucified as a substitute for sinners. Jesus just faced the fact that he was going to endure the wrath of God against sin, even though he himself had no sin. He would bear God's wrath against the sin of others. 
he would suffer the penalty of sin on behalf of others. Now in verse 6, we're introduced to the concept of Passover amnesty. I referred to this a little earlier. Apparently on Passover every year, Pilate would release to the Jews one Jewish prisoner of their choice. In verse 7, we meet one such prisoner, his name, Barabbas. Which very ironically, the name Barabbas means son of the father. Bar, son, Abba, father. I don't know if you catch the irony of this. The son of the father was crucified in the place of the son of the father. Barabbas. He was part of an insurrection. An insurrection is a rebellion or a revolt against civil authority. So apparently there was an insurrection. There was a group that revolted against the Roman government. They rebelled against the government. And since Barabbas is the one singled out by the Jews, it's likely he was the leader of the revolt. And we're told that he committed murder in the process of this revolt, this rebellion. So Barabbas is in prison waiting what would certainly be a death sentence. In verse 8, we see the crowd reminds Pilate, hey, you're supposed to release a prisoner to us. It's Passover. So they ask Pilate to do it. That's when Pilate tries to release Jesus. We've already seen this. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. He doesn't want to crucify Jesus, but the crowd is relentless. They just keep shouting, crucify him. The more Pilate tries to free Jesus, the more the people shout, crucify him. So what does Pilate do? Verse 15. And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. Jesus died instead of Barabbas. The one who was innocent was crucified, while the one who was guilty was set free. He died in Barabbas' place. But listen. Jesus didn't just die for Barabbas' sin. He died for all the sins of all who would ever believe in him. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. And scripture makes this abundantly clear. Let me give you some scripture. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell on him. By his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. Romans 4.25 He who was delivered over on account of our transgressions. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 
Now, I want you to think about this. If the Son of God willingly gave His life so that you could be forgiven and have eternal life, shouldn't you willingly, even gladly, suffer for Him? If He gave His life willingly, freely for you, shouldn't you be willing, even glad to suffer for Him? Does that sound unrealistic? Gladly suffering for Jesus? Does that sound like that that's, doesn't make sense? Acts chapter 5. It's a story of Peter and John. They healed a, a, a man at the temple gate. Well, it caused quite a stir. They were preaching Jesus and they were arrested. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail because they were, not because they healed a man, but because they were publicly preaching Jesus. How do you think they responded when they suffered beatings and imprisonment because they had been preaching Jesus? Acts chapter 5 verse 41 tells us how they responded to their suffering. So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. Did you catch that? They were rejoicing that God had counted them worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. Suppose somebody gives you a billion dollars. You didn't do anything to earn it. Absolutely free gift. And then suppose you find out that because you received this billion dollars, you owe a million dollars in taxes. Are you going to pitch a fit? Are you going to get the man, are you going to get mad at the man who gave you a billion dollars because his gift cost you a million dollars? When you got 999 million left, are you going to be mad at him? Well, you didn't tell me if I took this billion dollars, it's going to cost me a million. I trust you're not really that stupid. Listen to me. By his death, Jesus has given you eternal life. Never-ending joy in the presence of God. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more want, no more death. There's no, you can't put a price tag on what Jesus has purchased for you by his death. Are you going to complain if being faithful to him causes you to suffer what the Bible calls light? and temporary trials? In light of all he's given you by his death, are you going to complain and hesitate to endure momentary, relatively light compared to Jesus' suffering? Are you going to do that? Listen. In light of what Christ has done for you, no amount of suffering should turn you away from Him. No amount of pain should cause you to be unfaithful to Him. Listen, these verses teach us, these verses we're looking at, they teach us that Jesus accepted the reality 
that it was God's will for him to be crucified as a substitute for sinners, even though he is king and completely innocent. He faced that reality. And just as Jesus accepted the reality that he would be crucified for us, we need to accept the reality that we will suffer for him. Let me say that again. Just as Jesus accepted the reality that he would be crucified for us, we need to accept the reality that we will suffer for him. Now, I'm not saying you should be eager to suffer for Jesus. What I am saying is you should be faithful to Jesus without any fear, without any shame. And if you do that, you will face some form of suffering, even if it's only being ridiculed and insulted by unbelievers. And when the time comes that you suffer because you've been faithful, it is critical that you accept the reality that Suffering because of your faithfulness to Jesus is simply part of what it means to be a Christian. Can I say that again? Suffering because of your faithfulness to Jesus is simply part of what it means to be a Christian. You need to come to grips with that. If you can't come to grips with that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be tempted to compromise your faithfulness to Jesus to avoid suffering. Yes, you will. You'll start to think, this shouldn't be happening to me. You'll grumble and complain instead of rejoicing that God has counted you worthy to suffer for the name. Listen, every hurtful word you suffer for the master will be rewarded a million times over. Every time you're treated wrongfully for Jesus' sake, he takes note of it. Think about it this way. All that you suffer for the Lord will only make the infinite, endless pleasure of heaven all the more sweet. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Let's pray.